What's up, Gen X? Welcome back. I, for one, am looking forward to the end of February as we are now in the teeth of a winter storm here in the northern half of the states with snow and freezing rain. I, for one, am over it and am ready for spring. But first, I want to talk about Ukraine. We are nearing the anniversary of the Russian invasion into Ukraine, which itself was surreal. And the fact that it's lasted a year is very, very troublesome and is something that none of us would have wished for, certainly not a year ago, certainly not now. And it's even made the more enraging when we know now that this conflict could have been over after a month. In fact, there were the outlines of some peace accords between Russia and Ukraine about a month into the invasion, but it was scuttled at the last minute by Joe Biden and Boris Johnson. Why that was, that's up for speculation, obviously, but it is certainly troubling, and troubling now that... Joe Biden goes over to Ukraine to spike the football and to and to give an inspiring speech to the people of Ukraine, even though he is not their president. But he is certainly bankrolling this effort. He's going over there with $500 million in hand to give to them right away, along with promises for more, as if we have, haven't spent billions and billions too much already. And that does not even go into the likelihood that we are responsible for bombing the Nord Stream uh, pipelines. But I, I digress. But he goes more. It goes over there with five hundred million dollars promises for more, and also has has promised to back up and guarantee the pensions, public pensions, in Ukraine. All the while, all the spending is crashing the dollar and making pensions here at home worth less and less by the day. When you put this all into context, it becomes more and more troubling. Now, of course, his timing is just wretched. He goes over there to commemorate the year of the invasion but it also happens in a week where East Palestine, Ohio, is in some desperate need of help themselves. I mean, I'm sure they could use $500 million in a guarantee for more. Although finally the EPA has, has demanded Norfolk Southern to uh, clean up that mess. But the optics couldn't be worse. His continual support for Ukraine and at the expense of those here at home. And of course, you've seen all the memes that are propped up that, you know, East Palestine, Ohio declares itself part of Ukraine. So Joe Biden will visit. So Joe Biden will help out. You know, you, you, you get it. But it seems like more and more, Ukraine has now kind of become a de facto 51st state. It's, it's really, really bizarre. It's like, it's ours. But he goes over there, he gives his speech, and he's pounding the podium like he does. But it occurred to me very odd that during this speech, there was no talk of victory. 
what is victory? What does that look like? I don't know. And there certainly wasn't any talk or explanation as to why we are involved in the first place. It's been a year. I would hope by then he could have articulated clearly why in the heck we're there. Now, of course, he's given some, oh, Putin this, Putin that, whatever, whatever. Well, fine, yeah, Putin's a jag, but we're not at war with Putin here in the U.S. I don't think we want to go to war with Putin here in the U.S., although it seems like we are, although the proxy is being held in Ukraine. But he is yet to articulate why we are there. And it causes me to reflect that after a year of everything that's gone on and what seems to be on the horizon, I can just say that I, for one, I don't think I'm alone in this regard, but I, for one, can firmly state that there is no chance whatsoever that my kids will be dragged into this conflict. No way will I allow my kids to be pulled into this global conflict that has zero strategic impact on the United States. It's merely political. Or, in many cases, financial. Not to the U.S., but directly to the Biden family. So there is zero chance my kids will be dragged into this. I don't care what the consequences are. I don't care what any kind of backlash it is. I don't care what kind of nasty name anybody would call me. But the chances of my kids, my boys, my my little girl will be dragged into this conflict is exactly zero. Zero chance. Now, along this, this time, too, as he goes to Ukraine and gives them his support and ignores those in Ohio, the very predictable swoop-in from Donald Trump to travel to Ohio materializes. And we now seem to be in full campaign season. And I know I'm not ready for it. <laughs> I, I am not. Although, obviously, it's the right thing to do. And I get it politically why he's going to go there. The optics of, of this are, couldn't be more stark. I get all of that. But he, Trump is going to capitalize on that, and we'll, we'll see what type of uh, ripple that causes. But I did think it was interesting that he, in advance of that, he put out this video where he confirmed that the Obama State Department was behind the Maidan uprising in Ukraine in 2014 in no small part by Victoria Nuland, who is also now very aggressively pushing us to get involved in Ukraine, to push Ukraine to get into NATO. It, it seemed more and more that these globalists are just bent on global conflict. conflict. They're bent on war. And it's it's just bizarre to me. I don't, a lot of people point to min, mil, the military-industrial complex, and I, I get that. I think there certainly is elements of that. But I think it's something beyond that. Something beyond just fighting wars just so we can make more stuff. Because our stuff is getting old. It's getting depleted. So there, and I, I don't know that that necessarily hits all of it right now. But what certainly does seem to hit is that there are a notable, large amount of globalists. Then This is not even getting into the World Economic Forum, but a, a large amount of globalists that are just bent on pushing 
global conflict. And then when someone like Trump is in office, who for the first time in our lifetime did not start or escalate any global conflict you know, with U.S. troops, they push him out as fast as they possibly can. Whether or not that's coincidence, you can be the judge, but... It certainly seems like it is a thing, and I think this past year has shown that. So as much as Biden would like the idea that Ukraine is the 51st state, you know, I'm, I'm not buying it. You know, particularly when you had all of the corrupt dealings with his son and Burisma, and when you had his threatening Zelensky with aid, if he didn't fire the prosecutor in Ukraine that was looking into Burisma and the dealings with Hunter Biden. And once Trump finds out about that, he wants to look into it more, which led to the quid pro quo allegations on the phone with, with Zelensky, which led to the first impeachment really for something that Biden did. I and mean, when you take all of that into account, you know, he might like the idea of the 51st state, but, you know, Joe Biden, not surprisingly, can, can go fund himself. Now, as we hit that year mark, it's made even all the more troubling when you hear reports that Putin is readying nukes. I mean, he seems to be ready to go. To, I mean, they have more nukes than we do. And he seems to be at least playing chicken that he's willing to use them. I mean, it is a frightening, frightening time for a conflict that we have no business in. I mean, this is between bad guy and bad guy. I, I don't understand why the push was to declare Ukraine victims and Ukraine the good guys. You know, I, I did see a meme that got a lot of, or caused a lot of angst that said, imagine telling your grandfather or the survivors of of D-Day that one day we will be sending money and support over to help the Nazis fight the communists. <laughs> I mean, when you put it in that in that terms, I mean, it is it is a sobering thing to be sure. Now, a lot of this among many other things caused uh, interesting assertion by Marjorie Taylor Greene. And I understand what she's coming for, but her language that she used was, you know, certainly caused a stir. And she suggested that it's time for a national divorce. That it's time to separate, that, you know, our priorities are so vast and different and it, we, we just cannot uh, sustain the way we are and that we, we just need to, to break up. And of course, you can imagine the predictable media meltdown and just, you know, they were flogging her for it. Although it was interesting that in that sentiment, Marjorie Taylor Greene seems to be late to the party. Because if you remember about 18 months ago or thereabouts, Sarah Silverman, you know her, the very mediocre uh, comedian, she, she suggested the same thing. Well, you know, for different reasons, but essentially declared the same sentiment, although that got you know, very little attention. But now that Marjorie Taylor Greene says it, because people like to portray her as a kook, they jump all over it. Now, what would that look like? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's one thing to say it, but what does that mean? I mean, is it geographical? 
I mean, in a, in a real sense, it's it's just not possible. And honestly, it's not constructive to even float that stuff out there. It's very incendiary language. You know, it's it's something that only deepen divides. So I wish Marjorie Taylor Greene and people like her and Sarah Silverman would not push that kind of thing. But of course, you know, it's it's red meat and people jump all over it. But I mean, well, I, mean, I, I just don't understand what the logic is behind it. I mean, you know, we have very blue, deep blue cities in red states. We have very red counties in very blue states. So I, I just don't know to what end this uh, this rhetoric uh, is is useful. I, I, I just, whatever. I mean, you can say it in and... I, I just don't know what it's advocating. I mean, what you could be really describing is something that would probably happen naturally over time and almost kind of by attrition. And that's really by people moving, which is really what this whole American experience was for, you know? And, and I, it's been thwarted a bit since, you know, at least since the you know, Woodrow Wilson you know, when he was pushing the, the expansion of the national uh, government and, and the size of the national government, of course, FDR just bloomed it like crazy. It's been going crazy ever since. But this, the idea that the national government needs to be big and huge and powerful and we're all the same was never meant to be the prevailing sentiment. In fact, that was the main you know, fight between the Federalists and the Democrats way back when. You know, and what was settled, what what was the most wise at the time was that the federal government was supposed to be very limited in scope, was supposed to be relatively small, and all those big decisions, everything that's not outlined in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. I mean, I'll have to tell you guys that you you had civics, you you know what it is, but anything not spelled out was supposed to be left up to the states. The states were the ones who were supposed to be imposing the taxes. The states were the ones who were supposed to be setting these types of policies to mirror the sensibilities for those who actually lived there. Because the wants and needs of those who live in, say, rural Idaho are very different than those of Beverly Hills. Those priorities for uh, people in small towns in Kansas are not the same as bougie towns in the northeast it's just not and if you want to move to those places you are welcome to move there because it matches your what you want out of a place what you want legal and illegal and so on and so forth that's what it was always supposed to be so it could be that this you know quote-unquote national divorce is going to be because exactly that because i know i for one as soon as i retire i am getting the hell out of dodge and I'm moving someplace warm. I'm going south, and I'm going to pick someplace that I am comfortable. I'm not going to live in any blue hellscape like I do now. I'm going to live someplace where I want to, around people that reflect my values. And if someone who feels the opposite wants to come here and buy my house, they are more than welcome. That's how it should be. And if ultimately that means blue areas get more blue and red areas get more red, fine that's how it's supposed to be but you saw from the reaction of the dobbs case that so many people think the exact opposite that the federal government is supposed to be huge and telling us 
everything that we're supposed to do and then we're supposed to just fall in line. So maybe people will start to get that understanding if, if these types of conversations have any teeth. But honestly, I, I, just, I just don't know. But again, I, I'm going to move to places that reflect the way I think and feel, and they can do the same. You know, if you can be in tune with the fact that over the past couple of years, those who, like us, have opposed the establishment narrative have turned out to be correct over and over again. And now if you want to stay with someone who speaks the party line, even though it's wrong over and over, fine. But I don't want to. You know, for example, you know, NBC News this past week even confirmed that natural immunity to the COVID virus is stronger and more effective than anything you could get from the vaccine. Now, such an assertion would have gotten you banned from social media platforms two years ago, would have been or made you a subject of a lot of ridicule. You would have been labeled an anti-vaxxer. You would say your head's in the sand, blah, 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 blah. Well, those of us who cut against that establishment narrative, we were right. So NBC News might be two years late to the party, but that's exactly what we have been saying all along. And that's just an example. And, and you know the list. The list is as, as long as there are of things that we have been right about over and over just the past couple of years. And the establishment narrative has been wrong over and over again. And that includes Ukraine, as we had just talked about. Now, you also saw a freak out this past week of the Jan 6 footage that McCarthy Kevin McCarthy is kind of backtracking a little bit on some of his promises, but he, he agreed to give that footage to Tucker Carlson. And of course, that's causing a lot of angst and screeching amongst the establishment and those on the Jan 6 committee and so on. But it makes you wonder, is this another thing that's going to cut against the establishment narrative? Because, of course, the establishment narrative is this was an insurrection. It was the biggest threat to our democracy since since the Civil War and the worst attack on our capital since the Civil War, and, and you've heard it all. But there are thousands of hours of footage that has never been released. Why? If this was, in fact an insurrection if this was in fact the worst assault on our freedoms and our democracy since the civil war and and on and on and there were people who were going in there to attack nancy pelosi and to get aoc saying where is she and all of that kind of nonsense wouldn't all of this footage confirm that why are they hesitant to release the footage. They don't even want anybody to have it, much less Tucker Carlson. And there's some whispers out there that in a lot of this footage, there are, how should we describe them? Federal agents, those kind of say dressed as Trump supporters, but are in earpieces and are, are clear agents pushing people into the Capitol, encouraging them to go in there? Was this one huge psyop? Was this one big setup? That's, those, are the, those are the conspiracy theories. Are they worried 
that releasing the footage will confirm that? I don't know. I have no idea. But their reluctance to release this footage only makes me more suspicious of their motives. And it only makes me want them to release that footage all the more. Not just to Tucker Carlson. Put the freaking stuff on Twitter. Let everybody see it. Let everybody see this footage. And maybe, if it is what you say it is, then maybe it'll confirm the establishment's narrative. Or maybe, just maybe, it'll be like NBC News and will confirm that the establishment narrative was a bunch of bunk all along. All right, now lastly, I saw that uh, very sad story in Philadelphia this past week of a police officer named Christopher Fitzgerald who was shot and killed. And he was shot and killed when he was around Temple University. And he pursued a group of, of punks on foot you know, because they were robbing stores or whatever the heck they were doing. And he chased one down and he caught up to him and he demanded that he get on the ground so he, so he could be cuffed. There was a struggle. The guy shoots him three times. Christopher Fitzgerald falls on the ground only to have this scumbag lean over him and put three more shots into him execution style. It's really, really sad, really tragic. Now, you would typically think that this is going to cause a, a backlash or gun violence and whatever, and certainly the mayor of Philadelphia said as much, but it didn't really seem to get as much national traction as you would, th- you would think. Now, why wouldn't that be? Well, of course, your, your mind drifts to where I would think, well, what race was the guy who did this? Is it not from the demographic that you would think that would cause a stir? And then you learn about Christopher Fitzgerald and you find out, oh, wait a minute. He was a black police officer. Oh, and the scumbag that shot him? He was some spoiled white kid. Why would that not cause the obvious backlash? But in this era of post-defund the police, post-BLM, any police officer, no matter his demographic, is not going to be cared about, even if shot by some punk white kid. And what's, what's even more alarming is that this kid, he wasn't just some troubled kid from, from a bad neighborhood or whatever, you know, desperate and you know, just trying to scrounge up some, a little bit to survive. No, no, no. This kid, this scumbag, was from a very affluent neighborhood, not near where the shooting took place. No, no, no. He and his friends wanted to be tough. They wanted to be bad. They wanted to essentially LARP the gangster lifestyle. So they roll into some impoverished neighborhood and start knocking over gas stations, holding up stores, and acting like thugs and tough guys. That is who shot Officer Christopher Fitzgerald. 
And when you hear that, it just makes your blood boil. And then you come to find out that just within the past weeks, Governor Josh Shapiro, you know, he who, if you remember, signed off on the burn uh, order for East Palestine, Ohio, in his second month in office, he has vowed not to enforce any death penalties. Now, this, this is not a law. This is not any kind of order. He just said he's going to either commute those uh, punishments or just not assign them. So this scumbag who executed this police officer because he wanted to LARP as some gangster is not going to have the death penalty available to him. Now, and this is coming in complete uh, complete transparency here. I'm, I've always been an advocate for the death penalty up until recently, and I'm almost completely flipped on it. Not because... I'm going to be some uh, criminal rights advocate or whatever. No, no, no. And but, but when I was a kid, no, I was all for the death penalty because it feels just. You know, some some punk like this, you, you, he deserves to have have that to him. In my mind, at least, oh, growing up, it, it did. Except now, particularly all that's happened. And with the invasion of all the globalists, do we are we really that comfortable having the government be able to make that decision? I don't know. I, I think I'm I've almost flipped on that. But then I get a case like this, my blood boils, and I'm like, no, 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 take him down. But it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So um, all the best to Christopher Fitzgerald. Thank you for his service and best to his family. It's just that's how things are now. But again, everything seems to be upside down. And maybe maybe Putin's going to be nuking us off the face of the planet in the next week. Who knows? I don't know. Whatever. It's, you know, but <laughs> we Gen Xers would not be surprised. You know, this is something that we've been warned about since forever. So now if it exactly happens, I, it might be ironic that it's by those who were decrying it you know, 30 years ago. But... Such as how things shake out just a little bit. So, with that, I hope you have a good rest of your week, and we will see you next time. Or not. You know, whatever.